Wow, that is bright. Wow. Wow. Boom. How you guys doing tonight? You guys doing good? That was a very lackadaisical response. The new guy chasing the front row, he's like, yeah, good. Um, we were all once in that enthusiastic. Uh, um, come on, guys. How you guys doing? Yeah, there we go. You guys only have like, how many of you guys have three weeks to four weeks left of school? Yeah, that's pretty nice. How many of you guys are done with school? Yeah. How many of you guys are like graduated from school? Yeah, the few, the proud, the graduates. I love it. Um, well, hey, I, uh, I'm really pumped for tonight, you guys, um, for more reasons than one. Uh, one, we're in the book of John, which is just legitimately amazing. Um, two, uh, we're in John chapter 10, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, and three, um, guys, I've just been like waiting for like so long to actually preach to you guys. I feel like I'm not even your pastor anymore uh, because uh, we took five weeks off and you heard from five awesome guest speakers and then uh, and then I preached and then I was out of town and then we had another guest speaker and uh, I just I miss you guys uh, and uh, I miss just sharing God's word with you guys um, and so we have a lot uh, to cover tonight uh, and I have had a lot bottled up inside of me for the last few weeks like getting ready to preach and so um, We're kind of back on schedule. I just want to let you know uh, that uh, we're not finishing John chapter 10 tonight. We're going to finish John chapter 10 next week. Uh, And then um, we will have, uh, this this sounds terrible, right after I said I'm ready to preach a lot. We're going to have two weeks of guest speakers. uh, But one of them is our good friend Aaron, who's sitting in the second row. Uh, Aaron's going to be teaching on John chapter 11, and I know he's just going to tear it up. And then, uh, Lord willing, for the rest of summer, I'm going to be preaching, and we're going to be uh, hopefully getting through a good chunk of John. Uh, we've been in John for all of 27 weeks, and we just made it to chapter 10. Uh, so that shows you about the pace we go uh, here at Ecclesia. Uh, young adults, how many of you guys got your Bibles with you tonight? How many, has, how many people have their Bible? I want to see your Bible. Let me see your Bible if you got it. Uh, wave it around. All right. Wow. For like the first time ever, uh, we have more leather or paper Bibles than smartphone Bibles. Uh, props to all you retro hipsters. That's awesome. Um, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to be picking up verse 22. Uh, but before we do that, as you guys are turning there, I want to do just a little bit of review. Because um, it's been forever since we've been in the book of John. Uh we did John for 25 weeks, and then we took five weeks off. How many of you guys remember anything that happened before John 10? This is a really bad sign. None of you raised your hands. I'm going to give you another opportunity. Anyone remember the, the phrase, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was? All right, you guys got John 1 down. Good work, good work. Anyone? Okay, we're going to be a little bit closer in proximity and history. How many of you guys remember John chapter 9? There was a guy who was blind. Uh, and Jesus healed him. Great, great. Really set yourself up for that one. Uh, and so they're saying some crazy things. They're like really mad at Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. And uh, eventually this blind man like comes up after he's been excommunicated. He's like, what are you guys doing? Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Why are you guys trying to kill him? He's the real deal. And uh, that brings us to where we were uh, two weeks ago in John chapter 10. And in the first uh, 21 verses of John chapter 10, uh, we see Jesus talking about how he uh, is the good shepherd and how uh, he has his sheep and his sheep know his voice and his sheep will follow him. For those of you who were there, does that ring a bell? Yeah. Okay, we're going to kind of pick up with this same narrative uh, of Jesus here. Uh, but what I do want to tell you is because as you see, and we're going to read verses 22 through 30 here in just a second, but it says uh, it was the Feast of Dedications in Jerusalem, and it was in the winter. Um, this is halfway through chapter 10. We see it's in the winter. And verse 21, 21 is taking place in like the beginning of October. And now verse 22 takes place at the end of December. And uh, that could be like a little bit confusing. Just so you guys know, the numbers and the chapters and all the verses and stuff, that wasn't there originally. That was added uh, later on for our uh, benefit for our like ease so we could move through things. Uh, but really, the only reason they kept these verses together uh, and didn't make a whole new chapter was because they're talking about the same thing. Jesus is talking about uh, being a shepherd. And so we're going to see some things. But let's pick up real quick. Let's read, uh, and then we're going to dive in and kind of go verse by verse uh, and get our feet back wet with 
uh, going through verse by verse through the Word of God. This is what it says uh, in John chapter 10, verse 22. It says this, Now it was the Feast of Dedications in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked into the temple, into Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him, and they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I have said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much, uh, God, for your word. Uh, God, we thank you for this evening, God, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to study your word. God, I just pray that tonight, as we spend these next few moments looking at what your perfect word has to say, uh, God, that you would speak to us, uh, God, that you would encourage us, that you would build us up uh, in our most holy faith. God, your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we pray that our faith will be built tonight as we spend these next few moments looking at your word. God, we thank you, um, God, that your word is perfect and true. Uh, God, we just pray that tonight um, uh, that anything that I say, God, uh, uh, that it would not be of me, uh, but, God, that it would be of you. Anything that would be of me, uh, may I not even be able to get it out of my mouth. And if I do, God, may it fall on deaf ears. But, God, we want your perfect word to come true. God, we pray that you would uh, uh, speak to the hearts and the minds of each and every single one of us. God, and that we would be changed from the inside out. Uh, by the power of your word. So God, we just thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So verse two, uh, or verse 22 here, uh, picks us up in the middle or the tail end of winter. It's like winter, and I wish it was winter time when we were preaching this because we'd be able to do like life application. It's winter, and Jesus experienced winter. Um, but that's not what's going on we're experiencing this rain uh which isn't the funnest uh how many of you guys just loved that sun okay it was almost like non-oregonian-ish but it was awesome yeah the true oregonian in the back saying yeah they really don't like it i like the rain i like you sam that's awesome uh but we see here that jesus is back in jerusalem jesus had left jerusalem uh, at the end of verse 21 and by 22, he's back in Jerusalem. And here's the thing. He's back at the end of December. Now, we as Western Americans and uh, we as uh, Anglo-Saxon white people, we tend to do something, and really the white, like the rest of the world does, uh, but we tend to do something at the end of December. Anyone know what I'm talking about at the end of December? Shovel snow, no. What'd you say? Christmas. Christmas. Awesome. So here's the deal, guys. Jesus is in Jerusalem at Christmas time. Do you think he's there celebrating his birthday? No. Okay. Okay, good. I just wanted, I didn't want to step on anyone's toes before we went any further, so I had to say this. Um, Jesus was not in Jerusalem celebrating his birthday. Uh, how many of you guys know that Christmas actual, or Jesus' birth did not take place on December 25th? You all know that? Uh, okay. If, if, no, it wasn't on the 24th. Actually, most scholars believe uh, Jesus was not even born during winter. Okay, sorry, I just completely ruined your manger set at home. You guys knew the three wise men weren't there when it wall went down? How many of you guys know there wasn't three of them? Okay, uh, completely other story. We'll save that for Christmas. Uh, most scholars would believe that Jesus was born actually sometime mid-spring uh, because we're told that the shepherds were out in their fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. Uh, when it was cold during winter, the flocks would have been inside, so there really would have been no room in the inn or inside the stable for Jesus. So we kind of, when you look at history and culture we can see jesus really wasn't born then but uh if jesus was not there for his birthday uh if he was not actually born in december what on earth uh was jesus doing in jerusalem but i do want to just say one thing since we're talking about christmas how many of you guys love christmas okay uh how many of you guys got something awesome for christmas how many of you guys already like broke lost or misplaced what you got for christmas this year <laughs> wait what how many of you guys broke, misplaced, or lost what you got for Christmas this year? John, that's awesome. It was probably a gift I got him. That's really cool. Uh, oh, it was one that Olivia got you. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, well, here's the thing. Since we actually don't know when Jesus was born, uh, we celebrate Christmas in December. That's cool. 
Uh, I want to just uh, give you the proposition. Uh, this is a mini sermon in the sermon. We can just leave after this uh, if you want to. Uh, but not really. I really don't want you to. Uh, but since we actually don't know when Christmas really was, uh, you guys all okay with celebrating Christmas every single day of the year? Anyone down for that? Maybe not like giving gifts and drinking awesome drinks and eating fruitcake, but uh, how about being excited to the fact that Jesus was born uh, and came into this earth, God became flesh and dwelt among us? You guys think that's kind of cool to be excited about every day? Okay, um, because you guys, you're not just thankful once a year on Thanksgiving, are you? Like, it's good to be thankful all year, right? Right? Okay, good, good, good. I, that's just a bonus. Um, but we should be excited about Jesus all the time. I'm going to uh, jump... Sam, I think you can uh, hit to the next slide. Um, okay, if you're taking notes, uh, the title of tonight's message is Gripped. Everyone say Gripped. Gripped. All right, now we're going to get a little interactive. Is that okay? You guys okay if we get interactive? Yeah. Okay, I know it's been a long day. People had work in school. Everyone take your hand like this, okay? You're going to go like this, and you're going to go like, Gripped. Okay. Yeah, everyone, everyone, you have to say it like you mean it. Grips. Yeah, all right, okay, I'm going to give you the count of three, so we're not all like, grip, 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 grip. Okay, here we go, here's the count of three, here's the count of three. One, two, three, grips. All right, now you guys are all involved, I love it. So if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to take notes, uh, you guys hear me say this every time I preach, which hasn't been in a long time, uh, but I encourage you guys to take notes, not because I think I have anything good to say, but because we think God's Word has something good to say, amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, come on, guys. Yeah, and something good to say. Okay, uh, and statistics would really tell us that um, if you take notes, you have a better opportunity or better probability of remembering uh, what you heard. Uh, once again, I don't think I have many memorable things to say. Um, I actually coached Dan in football. Did I have much memorable stuff to say? No, I put you on the spot. That's awesome. Um, but I know God's word has some extremely, extremely. Uh, memorable things and things that we should apply to our lives. So I encourage you guys to take notes uh, because you have a 97% better chance at remembering. And you all know 65% of statistics are made up on the spot, right? Okay, moving on. Our first point for the night, so Sam, you can hit the next slide. Uh, there's the title of our message, Grift, John chapter 10, verse 22 through 30. Our first point is this. We're just diving right in. I didn't even have the intro because you guys know my intros are normally like a sermon in and of themselves. And when I had like 35 minutes into the intro, it's like, all right, point one. Well, we're just jumping right into point one right now. And point one is this. When we read chapter 10, verse 22 through 30, uh, we see first and foremost that Jesus was in a very important and specific place for a reason. So that's not what I wrote. I said Jesus was there there being this place for an important and specific reason. Um, so what we got to do is uh, I want to look uh, at what Jesus was doing in Jerusalem because if he was not celebrating Christmas at the end of December, what was Jesus celebrating? Anyone know what Jesus was celebrating? Yes. Oh, man. See, you're really good. You just went like... You just stole like five minutes of my sermon talking about the Feast of Dedications and how that's the Feast of Lights and all that. Yeah, Jesus is celebrating Hanukkah. Okay? How many of you guys went to like public elementary school where you had to learn about all the different like December cultures, right? Okay, like Kwanzaa and Ramadan and Christmas and Hanukkah. Any of you guys sing the Hanukkah song? Like, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Yeah, yeah, okay, good times. Uh, we're not going to bust out into song here, uh, but y'all did. Uh, but Jesus is here celebrating Hanukkah. How many of you guys know what Hanukkah is all about? Anyone know what Hanukkah is all about? Okay, I see a, a little hand wave and then no hands going up. So that's awesome because I have in my notes. We're just going to talk a little bit about the importance uh, of Hanukkah uh, and why it was important that Jesus was celebrating Hanukkah. Is that okay with you guys if we do that? Okay, like I said, I haven't talked for a while uh, and there's a lot of crazy history but like bottled up inside of me and so we're going to just like dive in uh to this right now uh in order to fully understand hanukkah we have to go back in time to the time of alexander the great everyone know alexander the great awesome how many of you guys bonus points to whoever knows alexander the great's dad john philip oh do you know where philip's from <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's my brother. Uh, that's awesome. He, he didn't see my notes, just so you guys know. Uh, and his, his whole uh, purpose was to expand uh, Greek culture. Uh, and this is a process known as Hellenizing the world. You guys all remember seventh grade history? 
Hellenizing the world. Okay, did you guys do like the little like maps and like make cool styrofoam castle? Okay, um, good times. Uh, but he goes out and he's making uh, this Greek kingdom and he conquers from Greece all the way to India. Uh, but at the time of his death, he's 33 years old. He's lying on his deathbed, uh, and all his generals come around. They say, Alexander, who's going to be your successor? And uh, legend has it that as he's coughing up his last breath, he says, uh, to the strongest. Uh, yeah, to the strong will go my empire. And they're like, well, who's the strong? And so in the typical man way, they all rolled up their sleeves, sat down at the table, and they had an arm wrestling contest. It was like round robin arm wrestle all the way around. And actually it was a lot more deadly than that. They had war and like war broke out. Crazy thing. And then his great empire was actually divided uh, into multiple uh, different mini empires. There's a lot of them. You guys can do the time and research who's what on your own time. There's only one we're going to focus on tonight. And that is the Seleucid Empire. And the Seleucid Empire is the, uh, the empire that ends up taking over uh, Syria uh, and going down into what is called the Levant or what is called modern-day Palestine. Now, just a little bit on Palestine for you. Um, How many of you guys have heard Palestine before? Okay, you've probably seen it in the news off and on. Um, Palestine uh, was never a country. Palestine was never uh, actually even a region. Uh, what, What happened... Uh, historically, was when the Jews revolted in 70 AD against the Emperor Titus. He destroyed Jerusalem and dispersed the Jews uh, throughout the empire. Then in about 120 AD, the Jews decided to rebel and revolt again. Uh, And a great guy by the name of Hadrian, he was the emperor of the Roman Empire, uh, he just said, you know what, I'm going to erase Jews from the history of the world. Uh, And what he did was he went in and he changed the name of what was then Judea to Palestine, which was kind of a... uh, undermining, not nice way of saying, hey, you Jews, you suck. We're going to name this land after your oldest enemy, the Philistines. And so uh, Philistia, which would be the the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, the Latin for that is Palestine, and that is where uh, Palestine comes from today. But here's the deal uh, with all of this. Uh, A few years down the road, in 175 B.C., the Seleucid uh, ruler, uh, his name is Antiochus IV, and Antiochus IV comes to power, and he loves all things Greek. Uh, he loves the Greek god Zeus, and he worships, worships the Greek god Zeus and says, hey, let's have a big Zeus party. Uh, and they set up a, uh, an idol of Zeus in the temple there in Jerusalem, and they offer sacrifices of pigs. Uh, to Zeus. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, I mean, that's wrong, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, no, it's a very big deal because they're offering pig, which is an unclean animal, on the altar there in the temple to this false god. Uh, Daniel tells us in the book of Daniel that this is the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, and so some really uh, crazy things take place. God's like, I'm not very happy. Uh, and the Jews, they start freaking out. At this point, Antiochus, uh, he changes his name from Antiochus IV to Antiochus Epiphanes, which literally means Antiochus, God manifested. Uh, he was claiming to be Zeus. He was claiming to be the real deal. Uh, and he did not like the Jews. Uh, so he made anyone who believed or read Abraham Uh, They would be killed. Anyone who practiced circumcision would be killed. Uh, And this made a lot of people uh, mad. Uh, There was a guy who was in a little region just outside of Jerusalem uh, who, when he heard about what was going on, he got extremely, extremely frustrated. Uh, And then the rule was that in every single synagogue throughout uh, the region, they would have to make uh, sacrifices to Zeus. And uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he sends out uh, his little emissaries to go and make sure the priests are doing their uh, their Zeus duty and doing what they're supposed to. And when they get to this region where uh, Mattathias, everyone say Mattathias. Yeah, I'm, I might legally change my name from Matthew to Mattathias because it's really cool. Um, but he uh, he's not very happy. He's the the priest of this village, and when Antiochus's uh, little messenger comes, he's like, Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm not a fan of what's going on. And Antiochus' messenger says, all right, it's time for you to eat some bacon, uh, which is against the law. And he says, I'm not going to eat bacon. Uh, And then uh, the messenger gets really mad, and Mattathias does what every good non-bacon lover does, and he kills the messenger. Uh, He just straight up kills him. Uh, And uh, this begins a war, and shortly after, Mattathias dies. But his third son, uh, whose name was Judas, 
his last, or the, the Greek add-on to his name was Judas Maccabeus, uh, a.k.a. Jude the Sludgehammer. That's what it means in English, Jude the Sludgehammer. Now, how would you like, okay, I'm going to ask the guys, because uh, we like, how many of you guys like Thor, right? Okay, I'll, the girls can, I can ask the girls if they like Thor. But yeah. would any girl want to have the nickname the Sludgehammer? Okay, so guys, how many of you guys think it would be awesome to have like the nickname "I am the Sludgehammer," right? And like, I mean, if you play football, that's awesome. You're like just a battering ram, uh, and it's like we're just getting things done. So that's his nickname, and that's what he legitimately does. He goes through and he just pretty much bashes in every single one of his enemies. He didn't use a hammer, sadly. That would have made a great movie, uh, but uh, probably would have made a bloody movie. Um, but they they end up defeating uh, the Seleucid Empire. And in uh, 164 BC, they take back the temple, they cleanse the temple, uh, and sacrifices start again in the temple. And at that point, the Jews will now rule for 100 years autonomous of any outside rule. Uh, No Greeks, no Seleucids, no Syrians, no Romans, no nothing. The Jews, they're doing their thing, and it is them. In 63 AD, Rome takes over, but Rome says, you know what, you guys are pretty awesome. We'd rather not have war with you, so you just do your own thing, but you're under Roman rule. So for uh, up until even this time of Jesus, uh, we're talking about close to 200 years now. They've been celebrating every year uh, this festival of the lights, this festival uh, of dedications, this Hanukkah, as we call it today, uh, commemorating what took place and when the Jews won their freedom. So pretty cool. Uh, What does that have to do with anything? That's just what Jesus is doing. Jesus is having a good time celebrating. So um, mini sermon is. Uh, it's okay to celebrate because Jesus celebrated. Right? Awesome. But Jesus celebrated with purpose. And our first point is that Jesus was there for an important and specific reason. As we look through the entire book of John, uh, we see off and on that uh, it talks about Jesus being here for a specific time. Or at other times it says, my time is not yet. But we see as John is writing out this gospel for us, everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus is going with purpose. So Jesus wasn't just here because it was time to celebrate. Jesus was here because he knew something very distinct was going to take place in the next few moments. And so something that we can just grab from this as we're following the example of Jesus. uh, When we go places, okay, uh, I would encourage you guys that just like when Jesus went places, he went for an important specific reason. I want to encourage you guys and maybe uh, invite you to think this way. Wherever you go... Uh, go as if there's an important and specific reason for you to be there. I'm saying I'm not saying like dress up like a king and be like I am important. Baskin and Robbins, I will take three free ice creams. No, no, I'm not saying that kind of important. What I'm saying is uh, go with purpose. Okay, so you're going to the grocery store, and the normal thing is yeah, I'm just going to pick up my top ramen and my noodles. Um, but that's the same thing. Your top ramen and vegetables. There we go. Um, But rather than going just to get your food, say, I'm going to go get food. But God, let's see what you're going to do. And I'm going to go with the purpose because I am a follower of Christ. And Christ has told me to go into all the world and make disciples. So we're going to make the most of every opportunity. And so when I go, I'm going to go with purpose. Can I invite you guys to do that? You guys think that's a good plan? Okay, yeah, I want to encourage you guys with that. Um, Jumping into verse 23, wow. We've already been going for a half hour, and we haven't even made it through two verses. Awesome. We're back on schedule. Um, Yeah, so it says Jesus walked into the temple onto Solomon's porch. Uh, Again with the descriptive, John. Awesome. First you tell us it's in the middle or towards the end of December. Now you tell us he goes to the temple, but not just the temple. He goes to Solomon's porch. Uh, This is important. Do you guys want to know why this is important? Awesome. Okay. Uh, Even if you didn't know, I'm going to tell you because I can Um, So Jesus, he goes to Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch is the only part of the temple uh, that's covered and has walls on all sides. Okay, It's not open air. It's not like with open on the top. It's like the only covered place. The reason why Jesus is going here uh, is because it is winter. In Jerusalem, during December, uh, there's very cold winds. Okay, And it would have been really uh, frustrating to be out in the cold. Uh, Jesus got cold, okay? Uh, It's okay if you get cold uh, because Jesus got cold, okay? Uh, And Jesus went inside, so it's okay to go inside. Um, But uh, he also goes inside with purpose and with a very specific reason. He goes in there because he knows something's going to take place. 
Now, the Jews who happen to be around, they don't know what's going to take place. They have their own idea. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. But what the Jews do is they go, and then we'll see in the next verse, here in verse 24, it says that they surround Jesus. If we're actually to look at the, the Greek that is used here, uh, it is, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Greek term uh, that's a military term uh, that is used when a military force would advance on a, a smaller enemy and they would begin to bend themselves around the enemy so that they would get in this U-shape around the enemy. And then when the enemy made an advance, they'd fall in behind him, and then the enemy would be completely boxed off. So in other words, if we want to read this the way it is actually written in the Greek, rather than saying they surrounded Jesus, it literally means they boxed him up with aggression. Okay, They had a purpose, and they were like, Jesus, we are going to catch you, and we're not going to let you leave until you tell us what we want to know. This is what Jesus is asked by uh, these Jews. They say, Jesus, how long are you going to keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, or if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So, that brings us to our second point. And as Sam hits the second point, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to read as I take a drink of my water. Second point is... Significant situations can lead us to impromptu teaching opportunities. Try saying that 13 times fast. Don't literally try it. Um, here's the thing. Jesus had a very significant uh, opportunity, a significant situation, uh, and it led to some impromptu teaching opportunities. Now, am I saying I've just given each of us a license to when we are in a certain situation to all become teachers and just start telling people how wrong they are? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am telling you, uh, is in these opportunities, when we look at every uh, appointment that we have as an important and significant reason to be there, uh, it's going to open opportunities and doors for us to begin to speak the truth that we know from God's Word. It's going to give us opportunities to love the way Jesus loved, and people will begin to ask questions like, what, what's different about you? Or, uh, why do you believe this when everyone else says it? It's going to open up doors and opportunities for you to share your faith. Jesus was very aware of this. And so Jesus uh, says this in verse 5. He says, I told you, and you did not believe. Let's do a little bit of review, because we haven't been in John for a while. Jesus says, I, tell, or I told you that I am the Christ. We see at the very beginning of John that he tells us that he's the light of the world. Then we see that he says, I'm the door. No one comes through but through me. I'm the shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I predate Abraham. I am who I say I am. I'm Messiah. But you don't believe. Then he goes on to say that uh, uh, I did these works in my father's name, but you did not believe. What works is he talking about? John chapter 2, he's walking on water. John chapter 5, he's healed the lame. John chapter 6, he's feeding 5,000 people. John chapter 7, he's walking on water. He's healing blind people again in John chapter 9. Jesus is doing a lot of miracles that point out that he's Messiah, but the people are like, we don't know. I mean, are you Messiah? Are you tricking us again? Uh, Isaiah chapter 35, if you guys want to write that down in your notes and go look at it on your own, uh, it breaks down what Messiah will do. And it, it says that Messiah will come healing and that the deaf will hear, that the blind will see, that the lame will walk, that the mute will speak again. Those who cannot sing will have songs of rejoicing come out of them. It, it talks how the Messiah is going to come and he's going to heal the people. And they are seeing this unfold before their very eyes, yet they have the audacity to ask, you know, Jesus, are you truly Messiah? And Jesus says, yeah, I've been showing you and telling you, uh, but you guys just don't get it. Why don't they get it? Well, because we see here in verse 26, it says, or Jesus says this. He says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I have said to you. Jesus flat out tells these people, uh, you are not a part of my flock. Uh, now, you would expect this to be a slap to their face and then to be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're a rabbi. 
We are Jewish religious leaders. Of course, we're a part of the same flock. You see just a few verses earlier, which we know to be about a few months earlier, Jesus was talking to these same people, and he was saying, you know, I am the shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. But I am not just the shepherd of one flock, but of another flock, and I will bring these flocks together, and they will have one shepherd. And Jesus was referring to, and he even tells them, I'm referring to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So these people, they would have been thinking to themselves, yeah, we are a part of this flock flock of God, Jesus, you're claiming to be the shepherd, but now he's saying, uh, you are not my sheep. And this verse points out uh, a very real aspect of God, a very real aspect of grace, a very real aspect of salvation and God's uh, sovereign uh, plan and God's sovereign wisdom and God's sovereign ways, Uh, something that we will have a hard time wrapping our mind around. I heard it said like this one time, and I think it's a, a very good example. I've thought many years of examples how to explain how we can't understand uh, uh, the ways of God, how his ways are so much higher than ours. And it's, uh, it was explained to me like this, and I, th- I thought this was great, so I'm going to take it and run with it. But it's like trying to capture the water of Niagara Falls in a 32-ounce Nalgene bottle. You just can't do it. And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get all of the water just in this one water bottle. That's like us trying to understand the way God does things. Uh, And and what I'm referring to here and trying to understand the way God does things uh, is a concept that is first brought up to us uh, by Jesus in the Gospels and then elaborated by Paul in his epistles uh, and then has been broken down many times, if not more than too many times, uh, by theologians throughout the years. And it is this uh, concept of God's divine election. Okay, how many of you guys have heard the phrase God's divine election before? Anyone ever heard of an election before? Okay, uh, I don't watch the news just because it's most of the time not that interesting to me. Uh, but uh, there's elections coming up in the next few years. Okay, uh, and a lot of people are getting ready for their campaigns, and it's time to become the next president. Uh, that's not the election I'm talking about. Uh, the election I'm talking about is God's election. Uh, where he, uh, in his infinite wisdom, uh, sees those uh, who are going to be called sons and daughters of God and those who uh, will not be uh, saved. Okay? You guys all tracking with me? We've talked about it multiple times here. We've broken down uh, the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. And if that goes over your head, uh, welcome to the club. Okay? Uh, we're not even going to talk about that tonight. Uh, but we're going to talk about a little bit about God's uh, election. Uh, and in order to fully understand, which we can't, God's election, we have to understand uh, that God also has this thing called foreknowledge. Okay? Uh, which literally means uh, knowledge beforehand. Okay, everyone tracking there? So it doesn't mean he has four knowledges. Uh, it just means that he has uh, this knowledge beforehand. Uh, and the knowledge that he has uh, is that there are those who uh, are going to be saved, uh, and there are those who are not going to be saved. Uh, now, some groups of Christians uh, say that God created some people for salvation, and that God created some people for destruction. And from man's perspective, when we look at it, Uh, that makes a little bit of sense uh, because there are some people who uh, give their heart to Jesus uh, and they will live for the Lord and they go to heaven when they die. Uh, There will be those who do not live for the Lord, who do not give their heart to the Lord, uh, who reject God. And when they die, they will spend a very real eternity in a very real hell. Um, And so from man's perspective, well, since God knows the end from the beginning, uh, God knew that these people were going to be saved. And if God uh, truly loved everyone, then everyone would be saved. But since God uh, knows that not everyone's going to be saved, and some people, God must have created these people to be destroyed. Um, that's a theology and an idea that is circulated very widely in Christianity. Uh, and from man's perspective, that is probably the best we can conjure up. Okay? Um, I would also uh, argue that the other side says this. Uh, that God uh, foreknows those who are going to be saved and God foreknows those who are not going to be saved. Uh, And so there is still an element where each and every single one of us, we make a cognizant decision, I'm going to follow Christ or I'm not going to follow Christ. 
and so many from the one camp who say, you don't get to choose, God just chooses for you, will point to this very portion of Scripture right here where it says uh, um, that you are not my sheep and that you are my sheep. It's God making a very cut and dry, uh, you are and you aren't. And then it goes on a little bit later on to say, uh, no one can snatch you away. Okay. Uh, and then these, these verses, coupled with quite a few other verses in the New Testament, uh, paint this picture uh, that God uh, chooses those who are saved, God uh, chooses those who are not saved, and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, that doesn't sound very happy. Um, now, I want to just be the first one to tell you, uh, the Bible is not always happy. Uh, there are some sad times in the Bible. There are some frustrating times in the Bible. But the Bible is always true. So regardless, if we think the Bible's wrong, we need to change our opinion because the Bible's not wrong. It's always right. Um, but we're going to kind of jump over uh, some of the stuff that I just said uh, because the very next verse goes on to say this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and uh, they follow me. Uh, them following, they're not being forced to follow. There's a, there's a very uh, real decision to follow. Uh, and so I just want to let you guys know, lest you think, well, I don't know if I'm chosen to be saved or chosen to be destroyed. Here's the thing. You have a choice to follow Jesus. Okay? And you have the choice to say, you know what, Jesus? I want you to be the Lord of my life, and I'm going to follow you. And you have that choice from the day you were born to the day you die. Uh, and it's what you do with that choice matters. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But here's the thing. The people that Jesus were talking to, uh, these Jews, they had very, very uh, hard hearts. Uh, and they said, you know what? Uh, Jesus, we've seen you do a bunch of things. We've seen you do uh, miracles. But here's the thing. We still don't believe. We still don't believe. The book of Luke uh, paints a picture for us and tells a story uh, about a rich man uh, and a guy by the name of Lazarus. Uh, this isn't the Lazarus we're going to hear about in a few weeks in John. This is a different Lazarus. Uh, but it tells the story of this rich man uh, who was not righteous, uh, and he dies, and he goes to hell. And then Lazarus, who was a good man, when he dies, he goes to paradise. Um, and Lazarus, uh, in paradise, he's just kicking it. It's great. But the rich man is in torment day and night, and it just it doesn't get good. It's just terrible, terrible, terrible. And he, he looks over and he sees Abraham off in paradise. And he says, Abraham, Abraham, would you send someone back from the dead to tell my family that they should live righteously and not live for themselves? And Abraham says a very, very uh, poignant phrase when he says that uh, they already have. They already have people there telling them the truth. They have the prophets. They have the law. Yet they don't live right. And even if I were to send someone back, it still would not make them live right. And what, what Luke is pointing in this pic, or, or painting in this picture uh, is that there are some people who, uh, no matter how hard uh, we try and say, hey, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at the truth, see the miracles that he's doing. Uh, there are some people that no matter how hard we try, they're just going to be like, yeah, you know what? It's not for me. It's not for me. It's not for me. Um, and it's crazy to think about um, because if we were to all be in here and someone walked in and was missing an arm and was saying, you know what? Like, I would, I would love prayer for an arm. Okay? Uh, and so we just all gathered around him and we started laying hands. We started praying for this person. And all of a sudden an arm came back. Okay, uh, that would be enough for me to be like, whoa, okay, like God is very, very real. And uh, we just saw something very, very crazy. And uh, I'm probably going to believe because that was freaky. Okay, uh, that happens for some people. But there are some people who would be like, okay, cool, uh, magic trick, awesome. Uh, where's, the, where's the trap door? Uh, and, and some people wouldn't believe. Uh, we see in Scripture... Uh, this comes to fruition when the other Lazarus, who Aaron's going to be teaching about in two weeks, uh, when he dies, uh, he's raised from the dead. And there's this big stir. And people are like, oh my goodness, Jesus is doing something crazy. But these very same Jews in chapter 12 of John say, hey, you know what? Uh, let's kill Lazarus. Let's cover up the fact that he ever raised from the dead. We're just going to cover this up. Uh, let's kill him. 
because it didn't miracles didn't work and it didn't change their hearts. The the people of Israel, the entire nation of Israel, God did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and they kept turning away from God. And here's the thing. There are very real people who are turning uh, from God every single day and saying, you know what, uh, that's cool for you, but it ain't cool for me. Uh, and that, that's sad, uh, and that breaks my heart. Uh, and I hope it would break each and every single one of our hearts, uh, that we have family members, that we have friends, that we have co-workers, classmates, uh, who uh, each and every single day are choosing to reject God. Uh, and if they were to die tomorrow, uh, they would spend a very real eternity separated from a very real God in a very real place called hell. Uh, and that, that, that should weigh a little bit heavy uh, on our hearts. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But verse 27 uh, points out this, uh, this point that Jesus makes. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The question uh, that I would ask uh, and I know I've asked it of myself uh, on, on several occasions. Uh, the question is, uh, am I one of Christ's sheep? Am I one of Christ's sheep? Because Jesus just told these Jews here, uh, no, you're, you're, you're not my sheep. Uh, you're not following me. Um, the question that I've, I've asked uh, is, is am, am I saved? Okay? Uh, how do I know that I am saved? Scripture has a lot to say, and um, tradition would say, well, if you believe this, this, and this, and creed, uh, then you're saved. Uh, but, but, but I would go a little bit further and say, yeah, that's awesome. The Bible says, confess Jesus and believe that uh, you're saved. I'm not discounting that at all, but Jesus said, uh, we follow. Okay? If Jesus is walking, and I say, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome, I love you, then I stand here. And Jesus keeps going, and I'm not following him. Uh, am I saved? And I'm not the one to stand here and be judge, uh, because that's not my job. Um, uh, I'd be a terrible judge. Uh, it's not my job to stand here and be God, because I would be an extremely terrible God. Um, but the question is, uh, are you following uh, Jesus? Uh, if you claim to be a Christian... Uh, that word Christian uh, means imitator of Christ. It means you are following Christ's example. And so if you claim to be a Christian, uh, does your life reflect it with the way that you're living? Because if it doesn't, I would ask you the question and say, do you know if you are saved? Do you know that you are saved or if you are saved? Now, the answer to that question, uh, it might seem complex, uh, but the answer is actually not that complex. The answer to are you saved, and the way you find out that yes or no, is a very simple litmus test. Am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? We're told in 1 John that if we love God, then we will do his commandments, and that his commandments are not burdensome. It breaks down in the book of John that uh, if we love one another, uh, then we can love God. But if we say we love God, yet we do not love one another, how can we love God who we do not see? There's some very practical things that break down for us in Scripture that paint the picture of are we following Christ? Are we following Jesus? And if we're not, and if we don't see the fruits of what it means to follow Jesus, then the question really should be raised, am I saved? This raises another question in all of Christianity because then we see here in verse, uh, verses 28 and 29 that it says this, and I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The question that is raised here is, can someone lose their salvation? Because I don't know about you, but I have friends uh, who, when I was in high school, they were talking all, I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. And now I look at their life now, and I see a very different picture. 
uh, a very rejection of Jesus. Uh, and the question is, can someone lose their salvation? Uh, and it's something that's talked about and debated about a lot in Christianity. Uh, and here is the reality. Uh, this verse, along with many verses in Scripture, point out to the fact that when we are saved, Jesus does not let us go. And so here is the very real truth, if that is true. It means one of two things. One, that our concept of salvation is completely weird because there are people who are very, from our perspective, not saved, who are saved. Or two, that there are many people who have been deceived by their own heart, by their own mind. People who have been self-deceived. And that's the question. That's the question. Were they saved to begin with? And, uh, and I would say, uh, once again, I'm not God. Uh, because if I were, I'd be terrible at it. Okay? Uh, but the question uh, is this. Uh, Jesus says we are secured in Christ. The Father does not let anyone go. We're told elsewhere in the New Testament that he who has started a good work in you will see it through until the end. We see in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, that we have this assurance in heaven, Jesus, the anchor of our soul, and he doesn't let us go. So we try and wrestle with the fact, well, what about the people who have seemingly walked away from Jesus? What about them? Or maybe you're a person sitting here, you're like, you know what, I've walked away from Jesus. What about me? And I want to answer this as biblically as I can because uh, if, if it were up to me, I'd just say, hey, you know what? It's all good. Jesus loves us all, and it's all good because that sounds happy, but that's not the reality. There's a very real God who loves us, and that very real love compels us to follow. And if we are not following, then it has to beg the question, is this person saved? Now, when I hear... Uh, this whole thing about losing salvation. Here's the reality. How many of you guys have ever bought a new pair of socks before? Completely random, I know. It's going to make sense in just a second. I don't know if you're anything like me, or like my brother, or like my dad. Uh, it doesn't happen to the women in our family, but it happens to the men in our family. We buy new socks. Uh, I have a thing about socks. I love dress socks, and I love crazy dress socks. Uh, how many of you guys know crazy dress socks? They only have one match, right? Um, I don't know if any of your guys' dryers are like mine, but I have like 17 pairs of awesome dress socks, and none of them have a match. Because I hand put two in into the washing machine. I hand take two out of the washing machine. I personally put them in the dryer, start the dryer, and in 45 minutes I go to the dryer, and one of my socks is gone. And legitimately happens to every single pair of my socks. Am I the only one who loses their socks left and right? Like, I kid you not, I went to the beach two weekends ago, and I bought an eight pair of black socks. So I was like, you know what, I'm not going to try and find socks. I'm just going to hit Fred Myers on the way, and I'm going to buy eight pairs of socks. You know how many pairs of socks I have today? Zero. I have no clue where my socks go. Uh, but socks are not the same as our salvation. We just can't misplace our salvation the same way we miss our socks. Uh, we can't just like, man, where did my salvation go? I know I put that down. It's in that room. And no, that's not how we like. That's not how salvation works. Jesus has us in His grip. Okay, that's the reason why the title of tonight's message is "Grip." Jesus has us in His grip. And here's the thing: Romans tells us that who shall separate us from the love of God. Uh, can we lose our salvation? I've lost a lot of pairs of socks. And I, I have this feeling in my mind, and it's just this awesome just like dream I have that one day I'm going to be walking through the forest, and I turn a corner, and there's just going to be a pile of all my missing socks. <laughs> How many of you guys have seen the movie The Prestige? Okay, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. It's great, okay? But there's this scene. I just watched it like two nights ago. Uh, and I've seen it a few times, but it's just so awesome. And there's this scene where he's in the... 
I can't spoiler alert. Okay, um, I'm just gonna tell you one part. Uh, they like try and like uh, make his hat disappear and then reappear somewhere else. Well, his hat's never disappearing. His hat's just right here getting hit by electricity. He's like, man, like what's happening? My hat's not going anywhere. And then like they try it with this cat. And the cat doesn't disappear. And they're like, oh, it doesn't work. And then the cat goes running off. And then as he's leaving the place, he hears these cats fighting. Doing their thing and whatnot. And he walks over there. And there's two cats fighting amongst like 50 of his hats. He's like, oh, my gosh. Like, the hat's like, it's been replicating. And I just have this dream that my socks are going to be somewhere. Okay. Completely <laughs> off the topic of the sermon. Here's the thing. You can't lose your salvation the same way you lose socks. Uh, the question is... Uh, can we be self-deceived? Uh, and I think the answer to can we be self-deceived uh, is unequivocally yes. Why do I think unequivocally yes? Because it's the number one warning we're given in the New Testament. Do not be self-deceived. Do not be self-deceived. Do not be self-deceived. Do not, do not, do not be self-deceived, deceived, deceived. Like, do not be self-deceived. What does it mean by self-deceived? Well, it can mean uh, a, a whole litany of things. But what the authors of the New Testament are really getting at is to those who claim to follow Jesus, yet by their actions do not, but they go through the motions of, they raise their hands during worship, Lord, I lift your name on high. They're like, they love Jesus. They say they love Jesus. They go through all the motions. They give in church. They read their Bibles. But there's never really been a change in their heart. And they've never really said, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready for you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. They just go through the motions because it feels good, because it's some uh, therapeutic goodness that they needed to do to get over some past thing. They've never actually said, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And here's the big thing where we can know uh, for sure uh, if we're following Jesus or not. Uh, when we sin which we're all going to sin, okay? Uh, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar. That's what the Bible says. We all sin, and it's what we do when we sin that shows us, are we truly following Christ? Uh, when we sin, do we hate our sin? When we sin, do we hate our sin? I'm not just talking about like, what we've painted in the church to be disgusting sins, like gross sins or big sins. Uh, I'm not saying do we hate those. I'm saying do we hate when we drive down the road and someone cuts us off and we freak out and say, what an idiot. Do we hate the fact that we're calling another person created in God's image some derogatory name? Because I think if we're all honest with ourselves... We kind of just laugh at those things. We're like, yeah, whatever, you know. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, if we follow Christ, we should hate our sin. Why? Because we can't serve two masters. We can't be okay with sin and be okay with Jesus. Because Jesus isn't okay with sin. And Jesus can't occupy the same space as sin. And so if we're okay with the sin in our lives, then Jesus is not in our lives. Plain and simple. If you do not hate your sin, I would encourage you, ask the question, am I truly following Jesus? Because here's the thing. Uh, as people, we are always going to fall. Uh, but it's what we do with that fall uh, that says if I'm following Jesus or not. Because if you're following Jesus and you fall, you get back up and you keep following Jesus. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. That's what someone does when they're following Jesus. I'd be lying to you to tell you that if you follow Jesus, you're never going to fall down. We all fall, and some of us fall hard. Other of us fall little, and then we fall hard. Here's the thing. We're all going to fall, but it's what we do with that fall. And I want to encourage each and every single one of you guys, wherever you are in your walk of life, whether Jesus is going this way and you're going that way, you're not even following Jesus, uh, there's never um, 
there's never an opportunity or or, or, or or it's never too late. That's what I'm trying to say. It's never too late to say, you know what? I'm going to turn around and I'm actually going to follow Jesus. Uh, there's no time like the present to say, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus now. I might not be following Jesus now. I know I'm not following Jesus now. I want to follow Jesus now. Or maybe you're standing right here in this crossroads and you're looking at Jesus. You're watching Jesus. You're like, I love you, Jesus, but where are you going? And Jesus said, hey, come on, follow me. Drop what you're doing. Follow me. And here's the thing. Jesus wants us to follow him. He uses us as sheep. And here's the thing with sheep. Uh, sheep, as we'll see in First Peter or, or Second Peter chapter 2, he paints this picture that dogs and pigs, when they go to the mud, they stay in the mud because they like the mud. But sheep hate the mud, and sheep will do everything they can to get out of the mud. And when they can't get out of the mud, they ask their shepherd to come get them out of the mud. Um, and so here's the thing. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are one of his sheep, when you fall down and when you get muddy, uh, we get back up and we say, Jesus, I'm going uh, to follow you. Uh, so if we love our sin and we're not sorrowed by our sin, uh, the thing is we don't follow uh, Jesus. Uh, John, I'm going to ask if you could just come up uh, and, and, and play. John's going to listen to one more song uh, as we're coming to a close uh, tonight. But the question uh, is this. Um, we we hear all this and um, uh, it, it, it makes us ask the question, um, do do I know uh, if I am saved? Uh, I know most of you guys in the room. Uh, I know most of you guys, um, and and I know uh, at least on some level because I've had conversation uh, with with I'd say probably seventy five percent of you guys uh, that you have had at least one uh, point in your life where you're like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I think I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Uh, but I'm not going to stand up here and say I know uh, what you're going through in every single way. Uh, I'm not going to say I, I know I know how you're doing. I know how you're doing. I know how you're doing. Um, this is between you and God because it's very easy. Uh, let's be honest. It's very easy uh, for us to kind of put on the, yeah, I'm a good Christian mask when I go to church. And I can live all, yeah, happy, happy, happy. But when I go home, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I care less. Um, and so I want to just encourage you guys tonight. Here's the thing. I want to encourage you guys, and then I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, the encouragement is this. Jesus loves each and every single one of you. Every single one of you. From the oldest in the room to the youngest in the room. All the guys, all the girls, no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you. Uh, and he loved you so much that he said, you know what? I understand the ultimate outcome for a life without me, uh, a life of sin, uh, is separation from God and is hell. Uh, I love people so much that I'm going to provide a way for them to spend an eternity with me in heaven. And what Jesus did, and this might re be reviewed to you, but, but we're going to talk about it. What Jesus did uh, was Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to provide a way of escape. Uh, and he became a man and he lived a sinless life. He was betrayed by one of his followers. Uh, he was put on trial. He was mocked. Uh, he was beat up. Uh, he endured a lot of pain. Uh, and then uh, he got put up on a tree, uh, on a cross. And he was crucified, the most brutal way uh, to die. Uh, and he died for each and every single one of us. Uh, and it is in his death and in the shed blood of Jesus that we can have uh, forgiveness for our sins. You see, the... The way they used to do things back in the day was there was a sacrificial system and there was the blood of the lambs and the lambs would, uh, blood would cover the sin for a certain amount of time. Then you have to do it over and over and over and over again and you could never attain full salvation. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm the lamb that was slain since the beginning of time uh, and it is in my death uh, that all sin can be forgiven. But Jesus didn't just stop there. He rose again on the third day. Uh, and it is in his resurrection that we can have life and life to the fullest. And we can have that salvation. And we can have the assurance, the assurance that uh, we will spend an eternity with him in heaven. Uh, we, we can have hope. And hope is that absolute expectancy of good to come. It's that absolute expectancy that I'm going to spend an eternity with Jesus. So with every, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I don't want anyone looking around. Uh, this is just between you. This is between God. Um, 
if you're sitting here today and uh, uh, you hear this, maybe it's the first time you've heard it, maybe it's the thousandth time you've heard it. Um, but when I say that uh, aside from Jesus, you will spend a very real eternity separated from God uh, in hell. Uh, and that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound uh, inviting. Uh, I want to uh, invite you guys tonight uh, to make the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans also tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love towards us. While that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 10 tells us that if we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we are saved. Just three verses later it says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall saved. So tonight I want to ask the question with every head bowed, with every eye closed. If you've never said, you know what, Jesus, I would like it if you would be the Lord of my life. I know I'm a sinner, and I just heard that the Bible's true, and uh, the wages of my sin, the punishment for my sin is death and eternal separation from God in hell. Uh, And God, I don't want that. I want to learn what it means to love you. I want to learn what it means to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life and be my Savior. If that's you tonight, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, and you say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to know tonight that if I were to walk out this door, and as I'm pulling out of this parking lot, and a semi T-bones me and I die, that tonight I will spend an eternity in heaven. If that's you tonight, and you want to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your sins are forgiven, Jesus Christ, your Lord, I just want to encourage you and invite you to raise your hand uh, and just in an act of faith say, you know what, Jesus, uh, I want you. I love you. See that hand? See that hand? Awesome. You can put your hands down. That's awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? I see that hand. Awesome. I want you all to open your eyes real quick. Um, I'm excited right now um, because four people raised their hand and said, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. Uh, and so that's a little bit uh, worth getting excited about. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, that means we're family. Uh, and that means uh, uh, even more than family. It means you're safe and you're going to spend an eternity uh, with Jesus. Uh, but it's not just raising a hand. That's awesome. It's so much more than that. And and, and we're going to pray in just a second. Uh, But I want to encourage you guys, for those of you who raised your hands, uh, you you just made the greatest decision of your life. Uh, It's not going to be easy, uh, but you made the greatest decision of your life. And uh, I encourage you uh, to tell someone, uh, to let them know, hey, you know what? I made the decision to follow Jesus tonight. Uh, Because it is awesome and God is going to continue to do amazing, amazing things in and through your life. So I'm going to invite you guys all to close your eyes uh, again real quick. And I'm going to invite you guys to pray uh, this prayer after me. I'm going to pray a little line and you guys pray after me and you guys just repeat after me. Uh, Dear God, Dear God, God uh, I know that I am a sinner. And no matter how hard I try to do things on my own, how hard I try to do things on my own, I'm never going to be able to save myself. I'm never going to be able to save myself. But Jesus, I heard that you love me. Jesus, I heard that you love me. And that you've provided a way for me to be saved. And that you've provided a way for me to be saved. Jesus, I ask that your blood would cover my sins. I invite you into my heart. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Guide me and direct me where you would take me. And God, for as long as I live, I am yours. Thank you.
book of Romans tells us that if we if we confess this with our mouth and we believe in our heart, then we are saved. And so God today, God, your word tells us that the angels are rejoicing in heaven because there has been salvation in this place tonight. And God, we rejoice along with the saints because a, a wanderer has come home. God, we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, and we say, have your will in our lives. God, we thank you so much. God, I pray that you'd give each and every single one of us, for the four who raised their hands tonight, God, for those who've been following you for as long as they can remember, uh, God, I pray that you would give each and every single one of us tonight, God, boldness to walk out the faith that we now claim. That we would boldly proclaim, Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus Christ saves. And God, that wherever we go, we would take that with us. God, I pray right now that, God, the seeds that have been cast and that they've fallen on the soil, God, that they would uh, that they would grow, God, that the roots would grow deep. God, that they would not be snatched up. Uh, they would lose joy. No, God, that they would keep that joy and that they would run with what they have. God, I pray that you would fill us anew with your spirit. Give us power from our heart. God, help us in all we do to bring honor and bring praise unto you. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said.